1981, 867-5309 would have been considered just a random phone number at best. But by the spring of 1982, it had become the most famous phone number in the world. Tommy Two-Tone's hit even inspired a fad of people calling the number and asking for Jenny, forcing nearly 100 people to change their phone numbers. Perhaps the second most famous number in the U.S. began its journey to fame a few years earlier. 800-588-2300-EMPIRE Today. Originally just 588-2300, the Empire Today jingle has been around since 1977 in commercials featuring the equally famous Empire Man. Nearly 30 years ago, the nationwide toll-free 800 area code was added to the jingle as their business grew out from their Chicago home and into about 75 metros across the U.S. Empire Today is a home improvement and home furnishing company that specializes in carpet and flooring. While Phil Bennett is not the Empire Man, he does lead Empire Today's customer service operations which are increasingly going digital, despite the famous phone number. This week, Phil joins me on Next in Q, and we discuss how Phil ended up in the contact center business, the myth of omnichannel platforms, how companies create barriers for customer communication, how legacy technology hinders advancement, and real-world examples of how different companies deal with legacy technology. Let's get to it. Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two Vision. Eliminate blind spots and see right through every conversation with Happy Two Vision. Learn more at HAPPITU.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Phil Bennett, thanks for being Next in Q. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Rob? I am fantastic. We were just talking a little football before we joined. And, um, you know, hopefully by the time that uh, people are listening to this, my Chiefs have gone on a, you know, six or uh, another six game uh, win streak would be nice. But uh, they definitely definitely look like the donkey playing the donkeys uh, yesterday. Yeah, I I will. I will keep my fingers crossed for you. I, I am, for better or worse, a Patriots fan and have been since I was a little, little kid. So that's a long, long time, long before Tom Brady was was their quarterback. And I don't think we got a snowflakes chance in Hades of getting it back this year. So Yeah, they have certainly struggled in the post-Tom Brady era, and uh, they enjoyed Though I would say unprecedented success for a long time. And now they're trying to move on from that legacy of success. 
And that is uh, really what we're going to talk about today is exactly. how <laughs> legacies impact business decisions. And let's just start by getting a little bit of your background. So tell me how you got into the business that you're in, kind of some stops along the way and what you're doing today. Sure. So, and it's kind of interesting too, because the call center was the last place on earth that I ever <laughs> wanted to end up. And, and unfortunately there are probably lots and lots of people out there that feel the same way. I, I can't remember if we, we mentioned this before, but, I, I've made the comment in the past that nobody, I've never heard a mother or a father say, I want their child to grow up and be the best customer service person there is. And yet the skills that you can develop being a customer service person are the skills that will, <clears throat> you know, take you many, many places in your career. So, I mean, you know, knowing how to help other people and to do it cheerfully and, you know, trying to, you know, be a partner rather than, you know, someone who's beating them up about it um, is is really the uh, just tremendous skills to have. I mean, you know, so anyhow. So anyway, I uh, last place on earth I ever wanted to be was a call center. I and the reason for that was in the early 80s, I started my career in sales. And if we didn't bring back enough leads they would send us into the call center to dial for two hours, you know, dialing for dollars, punishment. And, and so immediately the call center was viewed as a punishment for me, uh, not a place you want to be. And I absolutely hated it. Well, of course, anybody in the call center industry, I mean, cold calling outbound is the worst. And in those days, that was a very, very different setup than we have today. That was a physical gigantic, board in front of me that had a dial on it and it had different buttons to push for different lines i mean you know not quite the old you know <laughs> the, the old switchboards where you were you were you know hooking uh, wires into them which by the way my wife actually did use at one point in her life um she worked in a hotel in ireland had them so um, that's amazing so yeah but but it was not something that i ever wanted to do and and you know fast forward basically 30 years, well, 20 years later. And all of a sudden I find myself running a call center and working in a call center. And, and it all sort of happened by accident. I started out in chat and I, I mean, you know, uh, that to me was the best way to learn the business. It absolutely is a great way to learn any business you're doing and learned the business and ended up, we were going to just open a chat center. But of course, customers have different, you know, opinions. We, this was back in the early 2000s. We were trendy. We were like, we were going to be here, cool, you know. We weren't going to publish a phone number, you know. That, yeah, no, forget about it. Customers find their own way, and they will always find your phone number. And as a result, what we realized was it's not a matter of telling the customer what channel to go through. It's a matter of being in any channel the customer wants to be in and, and you know, working from that direction. In those days, it was chat, email, and phones. Um, today, it gets much, much deeper, and it's going to get a whole lot more difficult but ultimately i think it'll be rewarding the interesting thing is so many companies talk about omni-channel this and omni-channel that the problem is you don't need omni-channel i just need the channels i need and yeah. you know, the, the problem with saying i have an omni-channel solution is the follow-up uh, response is for me is going to be okay great what channels does your omni-channel platform actually work with and if you have to ask that question, it's not on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is a, I think a huge uh, misconception in the industry between omni-channel and multi-channel and yes. what your business actually needs. Everyone thinks they want and need omni-channel. And for some businesses, there are some that do it really well, but most businesses just need multi-channel and right. that will that will serve them really well. Absolutely. So, and you know, it, it depends on your business. So my first business was with a, a online brokerage firm. We specialized in options trading, which believe it or not, chat was a tremendous tool there because 
you could explain things in chat and then the customer would have that explanation. It's not like when they got off the phone, they, they're trying to remember yeah. what you told them. You know, they could get a copy of it and, and go through it. And so that it was tremendously valuable. Um, Charles Schwab ended up uh, purchasing that company from us in, in 2011. And, and we parted company in 2012. Great, great people. Wonderful people to work for. Um, the just so totally different from the environment that I'd been in. I, I adapt adapting to it wouldn't have been. Uh, it, it would have taken more out of me. It was just very very um, regimented, bureaucratic. We had gone from a startup which was nimble and you know things like that. And and there's nothing wrong. A, a, a company the size of Charles Schwab. They have to be that way. There's mm -hmm. no way you can be nimble because if you're nimble, things happen that you don't know and you don't want that. Um, you know, so, but it was just, just a very, very different um, type of environment. And so after parting company, a uh, company with them, I went to work for another startup that a friend of mine was working on. And that was an insurance startup and total fun. They, they, were struggling with inbound phone, you know, traffic because they were getting started and didn't know quite what to do with that. And so I went there and I built a call center for them. And uh, the only problem there was I was commuting back and forth from El Paso every every week. So that wasn't much fun. And that's how I ended up with Empire. So Empire had a call center in El Paso, so I didn't have to fly to Chicago every week. Um, and while I don't get the frequent flyer miles, I got you know, a whole lot more time to spend with the family, which, you know, really, really makes a difference. And, you know, with that, with Empire, um, uh, you know, yes, they're famous for their jingle, but that, that cuts both ways. Um, you know, it, it's been tr tremendously successful. I apologize to the people who are now thinking about it and can't get it out of their head. Um, but by the same token, you know, that's been tremendously valued for building a business. The one drawback that I, I have found is that, you know, it, it creates a mindset that this is the way we will always be able to do business. And, and while I don't believe that voice is ever going to go away the way most a lot of people are predicting it will, I do believe that it's going to become less and less important as people seek out ways of doing what they need to do without necessarily interacting with a live person only because we found out in this day and age it's just so much more convenient you know mm -hmm. i mean if mm -hmm. if there's no emotion involved i'm happy to jump into chat and say hey you know what i need to do this if there's emotion involved i want to talk to a live person and i i really think going forward that's that's going to be something we need to know because you know more and more of the public is really looking for that sort of a solution. I mean, most of us just want to get things taken care of as quickly, as easily, and as painlessly as possible, unless we want to talk to somebody about something. And there are always going to be people who are going to want to do that. Yeah. So, but, you know, part of the problem, and, and this really does play into this legacy idea, is that that was our legacy way of, of doing business. Every, you know, our commercials have relatively not changed over the last say 40 years um which makes them very powerful because they resonate with people but by the same token it builds that sort of legacy into the way we approach things and you know we we didn't at empire experiment as much at the turn of the century when everybody was playing around with digital channels because our 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 leads were coming from the phones and and that was being generated by that you know fast forward to 2023 and you know probably more of our leads are now coming from web generation than they are coming from the phone and the real key is to make sure that we can support the web generation the same way we supported the phones i mean we were always there for you when you picked up the phone i want to be there for you when you you know approach us on facebook or um twitter or any of the other uh social media channels but more importantly to, to to be there on the web because that's where everybody's really now looking for service yeah i mean for those that aren't familiar 
Empire probably has the most famous jingle that includes your phone number. Correct. And, and so when I have a powerful branding that includes literally a, a channel of, of customer interaction, I've, I've been essentially training people for the last, uh, you said, 40 years. So I, I won't years. argue with that. I don't know the exact yep. timeline, but you've been training people to phone you. So how do you make a transition to either A, encourage and or B, just support some of those other channels that are out there? I mean, you mentioned web. Are there mm -hmm. other channels that that you guys are supporting today? And can you talk a little bit about that transition? Sure. So um, today, uh, you know, when I got there, we were we were supporting email, fax, um, and phones. And I throw fax in there because we still have a fax machine. We'll still take a letter. I mean, you know, people talk about channels going away. Channels don't go away. People just stop using them. They, they migrate yeah. to more convenient channels. And and but if you sat down and write us a letter, uh, we'll answer it. We may not answer it in the in, in a letter form, but we're definitely going to read it and reach out to you about it. So I mean, that channel isn't gone. It, it, it's still there, and we still use it. We still have fax machines. Um, so I mean, you know, that's that's kind of but. You know, the world obviously is changing. The first thing we did was we brought in chat. But as we continued, and especially coming out of the pandemic, as we wanted to make sure that we were available in more and more places, we've we've stood up uh, SMS so that we can uh, both reach out via SMS, you know, to update you on your appointment status, to update you on your install status, things like that. Um, because it's a much more convenient and easy way to reach people. I mean, if you try calling people these days, chances are you aren't even going to get them to pick up the phone. You might get a voicemail. Um, and and chat really, or uh, SMS really has become the, the best way, I think, to reach out to somebody. And it's, it's completely unobtrusive. Um, it's something that pops up on your phone. You can look at it, you can ignore it, or you can respond to it. Uh, but the chances are you will have at least looked at it. Whereas if somebody calls you and you don't answer, I mean, there are plenty of companies out there today which make the mistake of not leaving a voicemail. I think everybody should leave a voicemail no matter what. Um, because if you're reaching out to call me, if you don't leave a voicemail, it can't possibly be that important. And so, you know, we want to make sure now you may not want necessarily, I mean, you know, maybe something you don't want to talk to us about. Okay. That's fine. Um, you know, and, and, and that's not a, a problem to us either. The idea is we're trying to help people who want new floors, get new floors. And I mean, you know, some of that's going to be in, in, you know, discussing pricing or discussing, you know, the deals. Some of it may just be keeping you up to date on where you stand on on you know what's going on in that process. But those are those are the areas that we want to move into now. The other areas I'd love to move into, probably more for marketing purposes than anything else, but would be you know specific apps and places on the internet. So people go to Twitter and Facebook um, either to post you know, nice pictures or to complain. Uh, I find Twitter <laughs> tends to be more complaints. Facebook tends to be more posting nice pictures, that sort of thing. Um, and I don't know if that that carries through um, to everybody's experience, but at least it's been mine. Um, but, you know, given that, if somebody wants to complain, uh, I want to make sure that I'm able to reach out to them. Now, unfortunately, at the moment, we're, we're, we're still working on that those channels. Um, they, they don't actually uh, route through the call center yet, but we'll get there. Um, you know, the, the thing is getting everybody away from the mindset of just simply responding. And for far too long, like with SMS, we had responded with, I'm sorry, that's not a valid response. Please give us a call at our 800 number. Yeah. And, and that's, 
that's okay when it was 2010 and you know we didn't have ways of actually handing things off or or worse in 2010 you couldn't take a a, a post on twitter or facebook private in order to actually deal with a customer then then you had to to divert them to a more private channel but in in 2023 people they'll say oh isn't that quaint and maybe they'll call us but maybe they'll go looking for somebody who is available in the channel that they tried and you know you want to make sure that you're available in those channels for them you know when they do reach out because doing business is hard enough as it is i mean you know if you have a person in a position where they're asking you a question rather than say oh i don't want to talk to you you got to call me in order for me to talk to you or you've got to send me an email in order for me to talk to you. say hello I mean, we're already talking to them. They right. have a question. Answer the question, you might get the business. I mean, you know, and, and I'm not saying we won't get the business otherwise, but adding an extra layer of complexity to it, adding another hurdle to, to jump over is in this day and age is, is getting more and more difficult to encourage people to do that in order to satisfy what we want, which is to actually interact with them and do business. Yeah. But so why put up those barriers? And, and, you know, the problem really is with a lot of companies, they have those barriers already in place simply because they were designed to drive people to what at the time was the most efficient channel in order to get their business. And that's really what's changing. It's that it's not that people want to do business in different ways. It's just that the efficiencies are changing and we're now picking the, the channels that are the most efficient for our needs, okay? Mm -hmm. And and then we wanna be able to reach out and, and reach whoever it is that we wanna talk to, you know, using those channels. And the only way we can do that is to turn them on and start listening and be there when people, you know, reach out. That was the original, the original reason we brought in SMS because somebody at a conference mentioned, you know, you should really check to see if you're, phone number is being sms well in order to do that you have to turn on sms for it and once you do that one of the things you'll find is that yes people actually are smsing you and yeah. if they don't get a response maybe they'll call you but maybe they'll go sms somebody else we just don't know and you know i would rather just be there to say hey how you doing what can i do for you thank you for reaching out to empire today um so i mean you know those are the the kind of things that we want to it, it doesn't, you don't get rid of the legacy because, you know, that's there. Now, other conversations that we've had and that I've had with people, you know, the interesting thing about legacy is the barriers that we've built. And it, it's not that it was anything that we did wrong. It was just that things are changing. So I, I think I mentioned to you that, you know, uh, it was fascinating to me in the brokerage industry that it it was so mired in a lot of the regulations because the regulations were written 75, 80 years ago before things started to change. But you look at the telecom industry and the carriers, my goodness, I mean, the fact that in 2023, we have to manually clear a phone number to turn it on for SMS is insane. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, my daughter is now living in China. She, she um, is over there teaching English. But what's fascinating to me is that, you know, Asia has in many ways leap, leapt ahead of us because they didn't have that legacy technology so we here in the first world we we built that technology from the ground up yeah we started out with telegraph wires that became phone lines and we're still dealing with that legacy whereas in you know many third world countries they didn't have to bother with that they just mm -hmm. you know they kind of jumped onto the wireless internet full nine yards thing and in many ways they've already leapt ahead of us as far as you know, 
usability and and different ways that people are interacting. You know, uh, Elon Musk, it really, I think, you know, from listening to some of his things that he said, he envisions Twitter to be something like a WeChat um, that that you have in Asia. And if, if you don't have WeChat, you don't do business in China. It's, it's right. very, very difficult. Um, right down to things like, you know, U.S. credit cards are hard to use over there. You, you need to use the, the Chinese ones or you have to have Alipay or WeChat or one of the other electronic mediums to do business. And and there were stores that we went in that didn't take cash or credit cards. They just took WeChat or Alipay or one of the, you know, those things. And so in many ways, they're ahead of us in that game. And I, I see us, like Elon with Twitter, I see us moving in that direction. But there are a lot of things that we're going to have to clear off and, and, and get rid of. Um, you know, th there are many legacy technologies and companies that, that we work at. I mean, I guarantee you, if you go back and you look at your tech stack, you're going to find some things in there that, that are going to kind of make you go, hmm, isn't that interesting? We're, we're still using that. Um, and, and a lot of companies are going to be in a boat as we try and move into this AI uh, phenomenon. You know, how many companies out there are using a, a, a 15 or 20 year old CRM? Um, and that 15 or 20 year old CRM, it still works. It's perfectly serviceable. It's just not really well configured for these, these tools that want to integrate with it and start pulling data out of it and, and turn it around. And so a lot of companies are going to have to, before they move into AI, before they, you know, totally revolutionize their entire business, they're going to have to totally revolutionize their data. They're going to have to totally revolutionize the technology that's sitting underneath it. Or the AI companies are going to have to come up with other ways of integrating. And, and I'm seeing both out there. But the truth of the matter is those are things that really do hold up this, you know, um, kind of wave of the future as we're, we're talking about. I mean, you know, right now we're seeing things, everybody goes, wow, that's, that's really cool. How can we, you know, take that tool and turn it on? In a lot of cases, the answer is, well, we really got to start a lot more fundamental than that. And, and those are, are issues that we're going to deal with. And while everybody's painting a rosy picture, it's going to take a little longer than that <laughs> to get it yeah. up and running. I mean, you bring up a, a really critical thing that can hamper long established companies. And that is, uh, it's not just the tech stack, but even if I just look at the telephone system, Right. There are still a ton of companies that are using on-prem, non-cloud-based telephone systems to communicate yep. with their customers. And there's a ton of, depending on the size of the company, and there's a ton of equipment that goes with that too. I know that oh, when yes. I started in the contact center industry, um, I worked for one of the largest outsourcers in the world. And when I left there in 2016, which wasn't that long ago, folks, like do the math, <laughs> we're still using on-prem solutions and hard phones at every workstation. And you're talking about tens of thousands of agents, uh, actually probably hundreds of thousands of agents just yep. in the U.S. alone, not to not to even get into what they had near shore and offshore and the sheer cost and the project that involves making that transition from, okay, we're going to deprecate this technology that we've been using for 20 or 30 years, however long, and we're going to migrate to something that's cloud-based. That is not just a huge project from making sure everything works, but there are pieces of physical equipment that you have to go, okay, well, what do we do with this now? And right. that holds companies back. And the companies that 
as you mentioned, that are just getting started, they're not coming into business with that kind of literal baggage. They don't have this legacy equipment that they're going, oh, okay, well, now I got to figure out what am I going to do with this? They just go, oh, well, let's just pick the best solution for us that's out there and off we go. Yes. It's it's interesting that you you mentioned that because that first uh, online brokerage company that I worked for, um, we were very, very lucky. We had no legacy software. We had no underlying, you know, like green screen technologies, uh, which believe it or not, are still in use in many yeah. companies out there. I mean, you know, it just, it, mm-hmm. it, it baffles, it just blows my mind. But, but I mean, you know, we didn't have any of that because we were lucky enough that by the time we we were ready to go live, VOIP was a thing. Now that was back in the days when you get this, you you were dropping calls about every oh I don't know five or six <laughs> hours, you know, and and you would hear that little tinny sound that would come in, and then you just kind of go and then you were gone. And mm-hmm. uh, but but the truth was. Because you, we started there. I don't know that I've ever actually seen a physical ACD. I know they exist. I know that lots of people talk about them, um, but I've never seen one. I mean, you know, and and the interesting thing is, you know, even though when I got to Empire, we were still on prem, um, you know, most of that was stored off site anyway, so it didn't really matter. Um, you know, but but really, what I love about the cloud is that you know everything old is new again and and to me that's fascinating when i was in college i learned to use computers on dumb terminals that hook to a mainframe now we use smart terminals to hook to the cloud which is a mainframe sitting somewhere and or an array i mean you know now because today that's what it it would be but you know it, it's it's still kind of the same thing it's wait a minute, I know what this is. You know, this looks just like it when I was young. So, I mean, you know, it, it's really interesting how how things have, have changed. But once you move into the cloud, well, then you find that you've got flexibility. And, you know, we all came through Corona now, some of us easier than others because of where they were in this journey. Uh, but it, boy, if you had an on-prem system, was probably a lot harder to go remote than if you had a cloud-based system because the cloud-based system was much more adept at, at you know adapting to that sort of thing. And you know, you mentioned you mentioned that thing about you know new companies coming in not having the legacy technology. There's one very, very, very dramatic example of that that you can point to. And to me, that's Sears and Roebuck. Because a hundred years ago, you know, without a doubt, Sears and Roebuck was one of the most successful retailers on the planet, and and unquestionably the most successful catalog company I think we've ever seen. And what took them down, uh, what's caused all the problems, was the world's largest catalog, because that's all the internet is is simply a, a catalog of pages, and while you sit there and you say, well, you know, there, there may have been mindsets that were involved in it. And there were, there were legacy mindsets because legacy is more than just your technology. It can be your mindsets as well, but, but they also had to deal with legacy technology. Now, fast forward today and look at what Amazon is doing. Steers and Roebuck could have been doing the exact same thing in the late nineties. They had distribution networks in every city in our country and numerous distribution points because there was an anchor store in every mall in almost every neighborhood. I mean, you know, north, south, east, and west, there was going to be a mall with a Sears in it. They could have been doing same day or next day delivery in the late 90s, but we weren't, we weren't thinking in that way. Even Amazon wasn't thinking in that way at that point. I mean, you know, they were just, it was probably just a good idea at that point. Um, 
but I mean, you know, when you look at it, it took stepping away from both the legacy and the mindsets in order to see where we could go into the future. And you know, some companies will make that shift. Other companies won't. Um, and a few will be dragged kicking and screaming in one direction or the other. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that you brought up Sears. I was actually going to ask you about that because I do think that they are an incredible example of a company that was poised to take advantage of the new way that people shop. And yet they failed to, to make the pivot to be successful in that new way, even though all the pieces were there. Yes, you're absolutely correct. It, now, I will say this. I do believe that the pandemic accelerated a lot of that. Um, malls were... So malls are still around. It's fascinating to me. I just recently took a walk in one of my local malls that I hadn't been into in props probably since before the pandemic. And I think that says kind of where we've kind of all gone. I mean, I'll still run to a Target or I'll Best Buy or something like that. But to go to a mall, that's a whole different experience. And mm -hmm. walking through the mall, I mean, the funniest thing is right now in El Paso, we're using malls to, to build haunted houses for Halloween. But to be candid with you, nothing was creepier than actually just walking through the mall. <laughs> that's as much of a haunted house as I think I've ever seen. I mean, most of the stores are now gone. Um, yeah. there's, there was still a little food court. There were still a few stores. You know what they're putting in there now? Call centers and um, fitness workout uh, yeah. facilities because they got lots of room and all sorts of infrastructure there because that was the one benefit of them all. You had the infrastructure that you needed. You had the, the data cables and things like that. But nobody goes to malls anymore. I mean, nobody yeah. shops that way. And 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 that's going to be very, very difficult as we transition out of it, because we're going to have lots of these huge monuments. I mean, think about the Mall of America, biggest mall in the country. They it still get still a lot of traffic. They still I'm get sure a lot of traffic. Do. I've been there uh, pretty recently. I used to work across the street from that mall. And I agree with you, but I will say that mall is still a tourist destination. Well, and and that's probably what's going to end up happening with malls. <laughs> You're going to end up being a tourist destination yeah. where yeah. you go and you say, wow, this is, you know, and, and especially the Mall of America, that's actually a great one. It's been almost two decades since I was, well, it's been more than two decades since I was there. But at the time they had roller coasters and they had all sorts Don't of do. other reasons than just shopping to go yeah. to a mall. And therein lies the draw on that. Can mm -hmm. we attract people to come for one reason or another? And oh, by the way, while you're here, we have all these things that you can buy. Yeah, absolutely. Disney's been doing that for decades. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, you know, and, and we will see that. Um, but you're right. It There will be a few that will do very, very well simply for the nostalgia. Yeah. Sake. Yeah, but you you're know, right. Like Most that. of them are, are dying. And I've been... I've had a similar experience. Uh, there is a mall in St. Louis that I used to go to regularly for the movie theater that was there. It was the yep. theater that my family preferred and we would go there. And, you know, when we first started going there, when we lived in St. Louis, it was always pretty busy. And over the years, it got to the point where it was a ghost town. You would have yep. very little going on in there. And while the theater was still operating, it was just weird to be inside there because there just wasn't much foot traffic at all. It felt just so empty and yeah, it's, it's creepy. Yeah. I want to talk to you about another company that mm -hmm. is a company that is making this technological pivot and, you know, neither of us are insiders, but I find this to be maybe a little bit belated on their part, but I do find it interesting. And I find that something that they're doing is a complete and total rebrand in the process. 
So for those that aren't familiar, the Schwann's man is a guy who drives around a truck that has frozen food goods on it and does home delivery. They have for uh, 40-ish years driven around the neighborhoods. You could call up, again, phone call, place Mm -hmm. your order over the phone. They would come and deliver it. You could order right over the truck. And I just saw recently that uh, they are rebranding to Yellow. That's Y-E-L-L-O-H. And at first I thought, well, they've been bought. That was my Mm -hmm. first reaction was they've been bought. But I looked into it. They haven't been bought. They are essentially going through an entire digital transformation. And I find it fascinating that in the process of basically being able to use an app and to get text updates, some of the things that you were talking about that that Empire Mm -hmm. has, has engaged with, they've decided that we're just going to throw out the entire brand name because it's going to be such a different experience. What, what are your thoughts on that? It's, it's really interesting to me because for a company to be willing to throw out their legacy branding to that extent is, it, to, to me, it's nothing short of revolutionary because, I mean, here's an interesting thing. I, you know, I talked to you about my first sales job. My first sales job was actually as a competitor to Schwann's. We, we were doing in-home frozen food service, um, a company called Colorado Prime. And Colorado Prime still exists, but I went to their website and I don't know that they still have sales reps that they send out. It looks like it's all migrated to online now. And so to me, it's very, very interesting because Schwann's was a great name. When you saw the Schwann's truck in your neighborhood, it wasn't quite the adult version of the ice cream. Man. But I mean, you know, it it's still it moving a little bit, you know. <laughs> and and I mean, so so it'll it'll be very interesting to see how they do and how they do it. Will they maintain the trucks? You know, or are they going to totally just go to straight delivery? You place the order online. I don't know. Um, and and the worst part about that is that there are a number of companies out there already doing it. You've got, you know, um, uh, what is it? Cloud, Cloud Cow. Uh, but there's also Moink. There's, there's just a number of different companies. Plus, there are high-end companies where you can get every, anything you want from, you know, ground beef to Wagyu. I mean, it just... Yeah take your pick and so i mean you know the the beauty of the internet is that it puts literally the world at your fingertips if something is available for sale you can probably get it on the internet um which i find just amazing in that although we're still in somewhat of a place where you can't necessarily get everything quickly so for instance my wife is irish i mentioned this uh, early in the beginning and uh, she loves Irish, the Irish breakfast sausages and the Irish bacon. Now in El Paso, that's not exactly the most popular <laughs> item in the world. I can, however, get it through the internet. Now it's expensive because it's gotta be frozen and come to me, but, but I can do it. And I mean, you know, that's kind of the neat thing about the internet. And so really it'll be interesting to see if throwing off the legacy reputation that Schwann's had, because they did, they they were, it's a tremendous name. If that actually works going forward, or if they should be leveraging that differentiation that they've already got, and just saying this is a new way of of working with. I I, I don't know how it'll work. It's one of the things that's really fascinating to me is how many different businesses try different things. So in essence, we have this this really cool little laboratory. And I firmly suggest people who are looking at AI right now to maybe take a deep breath, realize that they're not falling as far behind as the sales reps want us to believe, and maybe watch other people make mistakes before long, uh, you know, jumping into it and, um, you know, being so sure that they want to replace all of their reps with digital agents. Because I just... I don't see how that happens. 
But again, I come from a different point of view. I could be just as wrong as they could. And it'll yeah. be interesting to see how it goes. I, I'm interested to hear more about this Irish bacon and Irish sausage. Yeah. Can you tell me? I promise I will share because you can what, get it where you What is the difference? So Irish bacon is different from American bacon in that they use a different piece of meat to do it. Mm. It's also cured differently. So it would be chemically cured or um, seasoned and, and marinated rather than smoked. So mm. our bacon would be smoked. Theirs would be cured with nitrates and, and things like that. Um, they also use the pork loin. So it actually looks like a very thin sliced pork chop rather than a piece, a long piece of bacon. And, and in Ireland, the long pieces of bacon are called streaky bacon for the fat streaks that are in them. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the rasher is the, um, it, it looks kind of like a pork chop, but very, very thin, um, nice, wonderful taste, much more mild. Um, and I, I am a bacon fan. So please I'll take bacon in any way, shape or form you can get it. Um, but what I'll say about the sausages is that they're seasoned differently. So it's a milder seasoning. It, it, um, you don't have a lot of the, the spice that you get in a normal breakfast sausage here. And it's a very different type of, of experience. In fact, I'm getting ready to place an order for, uh, for this because I, I put it in my stuffing when I make stuffing uh -huh. for Thanksgiving. So I cook up the bacon and the sausage and, and I'll I'll grind it or you know, chop it up fine. And then I'll put it in the stuffing instead of like a sage or a sausage stuffing mm -hmm. um, or an oyster stuffing. So that that I'm getting ready to do that. Okay. I'm intrigued. Uh, I have another question for you. Is there any stretch of highway more desolate than I-10 west of El Paso? I-10 east of El Paso. <laughs> east. Yeah. Oh, east or west. I know, they both seem pretty desolate. They, they, they both can be very, very desolate. I, the worst to me is that that stretch between Dallas and El Paso. It is just, oh, my goodness. It, it, the, the first When we first came out here, uh, we drove, obviously, when we were moving. And we moved from New England. And like, you know, the first day we went through nine states. The second day we kind of turned the corner at Tennessee and went through three states. The last day was all Texas. And people don't realize just how big Texas is. And, but boy, you get on that stretch of road when you get to I-10 and it's, you know, the first time you see an oil well, it's like, oh, cool. You know, it's, we're seeing oil wells. This is like the TV. The 960th time see oil wells is like, oh my God, not another oil field. So, and and the funniest thing is, you know, we, we were driving at night and I saw a town. And I'm like, okay, we're gonna stop for the night at this town that's coming up, right? You know, you see it on the horizon. It's like, you know, the mountain that you're driving to. And, and you're driving forever and forever, and it's just getting brighter and brighter. And my wife kept saying to me, there's no town listed around here. I'm like, but you can see it, it's right over there, right? turned out it was this this massive refinery it was an of oil course. refinery it was massive i mean it's the size of the city but there was no place to stop for the night there so we had to keep on going yeah during the daytime it had the population of a pretty good yes city. it probably does yeah but you were in the middle of nowhere oh, yeah um, it is yeah. for those uninitiated with the state of texas um it is a country of its own in sheer size. It is massive and driving across it can, can be an adventure. And I would highly encourage anyone who's doing so, if you get off the interstate, fill up every chance that you can. Because oh, absolutely. You find places that you just go, oh, well, I, I don't have any gas and uh, I'm nowhere near civilization. Yes, we, we had to, I had to pull off to change uh, a diaper on that trip. And we pulled off to this, it looked like a town. It was, I don't know if it was a town. It was kind of a ghost town. It was very, uh, it was as deserted as you 
you you would think it would be and it just it, it was one of those places was like out of a horror movie it felt like everybody was watching you and we couldn't get out of there fast enough i mean you know i'm sure that they they were all wonderful people they were probably just as concerned about who's this idiot stopping you know, yeah, you stopped off movie. at the 2023 mall of texas i think is exactly yeah. the ghost town well, Phil, I, I got to thank you for joining Next in Q and talking about this. I know that um, there are a lot of companies out there that are struggling under the weight of legacy systems or legacy branding, and they're, they're navigating these things. And I don't know all the right answers. We don't purport to know all of the right answers, but no. I do think it's worth having a conversation to think about what are some of the impacts and i couldn't think of a better person to to have that conversation with than you so thank you very much i appreciate it rob i really do and i i just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity i it's really exciting the new medias um because they're allowing people to to really focus in on specific areas and and yet get a lot of information out that we we couldn't have done 20 years ago yeah, absolutely. It's a privilege for me to be able to have conversations with people like you and kind of dig into these things. And I love it when uh, other people find incredible takeaways that they can, you know, go back with. So that's, that's always the goal. And uh, it can't happen without people like you. So thank you. Well, hopefully we provided some stuff. So. But I I'm really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed our time. It was great. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy To and is produced by me, Rob Dwyer. If you enjoy this podcast, please, by all means, subscribe and or rate this podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. But more importantly, please tell just one person about this podcast. Word of mouth is the best way for people to discover new content. As always, thanks for listening.